come. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. For a time when we meditate on what we just read from Mark chapter 15, we've been throughout the season of Lent, we've been considering questions that God asks us. And what we've been talking about is how when God asks us a question, it's not for him to gain any information that he doesn't have. Instead, it's for us. God asks questions throughout the Bible in order that we would pause, we would listen to that question, and we'd wrestle with what we learn about ourselves and about him. In our reading, the reading I just read from Mark 15, we find something unique. As far as I know, this is the only place in all the Bible where God asks himself a question. It's a question, it's actually more of a cry that comes from a place of utmost agony and pain from the mouth of Jesus in his last hours on the cross. And this question, though it's a question that was asked in a mysterious way in between God himself, to God himself, it's a question that we overhear as Jesus cries out. We overhear it and we're meant to ask, why? Why? So this evening, I want to share three things as we consider Jesus' question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Three things we can learn. First, this question actually answers one of our deepest questions, maybe our deepest question of all. When Jesus cries out, why? He's actually quoting from a psalm from the prayer book of Israel. The opening verse of Psalm 22, this psalm was a prayer that was written out of the experience of feeling forsaken by God. It was at a time when the psalmist felt like, this is when I need you the most, God. This is when I need you to show up, and you're not there. I don't feel like you're there. You're nowhere to be found. It's a prayer, then, that was written for those who are going through a similar experience, those who feel forsaken, those who feel abandoned. It's that why question underneath our suffering and hurt, under some of our deepest suffering and hurt, we say, why, God, why? 
have you forsaken me? Here God answers that question with a question of his own. God's clearest answer to the why question underneath our suffering is that he has asked it himself. From within the experience of human suffering, it's hard to fathom, it's hard to describe, but God descended into the darkest, into the deepest place of human suffering. God experienced the why question. He asked the why question that we experience when hard things happen, when terrible things happen around us, when hard things and terrible things happen to us. And what's clear is that this is not an intellectual or a theoretical answer that God gives. This was a guttural cry. Unlike the rest of the Gospels, unlike all of the New Testament, which was written in Greek, this was recorded in Mark here, we read it, and also in Matthew in Jesus' heart language, which was Aramaic. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. For those of you who maybe were raised by a parent for whom English isn't their first language, maybe that's true for some of you. Me, my, for me and my family, my dad, he, he came from India. He was born in India, and his first and native tongue was Punjabi. And whenever my dad got emotional, whenever he got upset, or even when he got really happy, he would scream out in Punjabi, often at me and my brother when he was upset with us. That was when he wanted to express his emotion. That's what came out of him, his native tongue. And here, Mark and the other gospel writers say, translation, it's not enough. I'm not going to translate it. You need to hear it as he shouted it from the depths of his heart. When we struggle to make sense of it all, when we ask why, if God is there, where is God in this? Why, God? This question says he's with us. He's with us in the darkness. He's with us in the violence. He's with us in the shame. He has cried from the depths of his own heart. Why? In my first position in a church, I was in a college ministry. The pastor there who I was working with and under, he said, you just have to read one book as a part of your internship and your time with me. He said, this book, I read it and it saved my own faith. So he gave me a copy of this book called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. It's an amazing book. It's a meditation, a book-length meditation on the cross of Christ. And there's a piece in this book that has actually helped preserve and save my own faith in my why moments. I want to read a section from John Stott's book. He says this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And then later he writes, There is still a question mark over and against human suffering. But on top of it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. So friends, if that why question is welling up within you, if you're hurting, if you're suffering, the cry of Jesus, his question 
this evening, feel it being stamped over your suffering. This is where Christianity stands alone, unique in its answer to our deepest question, why God? God answers the question by asking it himself. As the, the poet Edward Shalito wrote, the other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The question of Jesus answers our deepest question. It also reveals our greatest danger. This question gives us God's clearest answer in the Bible as to what the greatest danger facing human beings and every person is. What is the greatest danger? It is spiritual forsakenness, abandonment, separation. Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken. It's been called a cry of dereliction. This has been called a cry of abandonment. To be a derelict means you have nothing. A derelict has nothing and no one. And to be abandoned is to be alone. I was looking at reviews for hotels recently, and I was looking at this one hotel, I was looking at the review, and it said this, this is the most awful God-forsaken place on earth. And I was like, that is not the review you want for your hotel on TripAdvisor. Jesus is saying in this, in this cry of forsakenness, I have gone to the most awful God-forsaken place on earth. So you don't ever have to go there. To be God-forsaken means that the goodness of God is totally removed. It's reflected not just in the cry of Jesus, but if you look with me at the passage, and kids, look with me at the passage. What does it say right there at the beginning? Mark 15, 33. What happened at the sixth hour? This is noon. We see total darkness. This is our, in, in our Tenebrae service. We're here on our Tenebrae candelabra at the last candle, the final light. This is the most heavy and the most intense time of all. Jesus had his prayer in the garden. He was sweating blood. He had a pain of betrayal and arrest and denial and beating and mocking and taunting and being nailed to the cross. But these three hours of darkness were worse than all of that. Here we come to the darkest place of God's own experience, of, hum of human experience. There's no light. There's no presence of God. There's no connection with God. Total darkness, three hours. When this darkness descends, did you notice this as we read? There's no more taunts. Nobody's mocking. Nobody's throwing their jeers at Jesus anymore. They just say, what did he say? Is he calling for Elijah? Let's see if Elijah comes and gets him. Other than that, silence. Three hours of silence in the darkness. This darkness at noon when it's the peak of the sun's position is a sign of uncreation. The undoing of creation to its original darkness Darkness and void. The first thing that God said in the Bible, let there be light. That's being undone. It's the end of the world. It's darkness, which is a sign of God's judgment 
and curse. When God removes his goodness, his grace, his blessing, what's left? Just the darkness of forsakenness. When the Apostle Paul is later trying to describe what happened on the cross, why did Jesus ask this question? He says in 2 Corinthians, he became sin. And in Galatians 3, he says he became a curse. Not just he bore it, not just he carried it, not just he paid for it, he became it. This means that human sin and evil and the curse and judgment that we deserve were so focused on Jesus that he became sin and the curse. So when we look at the cross, when we hear this question, it's the clearest place for us to look. It's the clearest answer to the question, what is sin? And where does it take us? Where does it lead us? What happens when my human sin meets the holiness and the justice and the glory and the perfection of God? C.S. Lewis said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who say to God, I'm sorry, and those whom God says, thy will be done. Two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. In those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. Forsakenness, separation, dereliction. It's what happens when God says, your will be done. It's very sobering. This is the darkest and most difficult truth in all the Bible. But see how it's not communicated in judgment. This is not communicated in condemnation from heaven. With the voice of God powering and thundering. Instead, it's shown to us in a desperate, painful cry of God himself experiencing it. This question, it answers our deepest question. It reveals our greatest danger, but it also reveals an even greater love. Here is a love that's stronger and deeper and greater than sin, than evil, than even our own selfish wills, a love that rescues us from our greatest danger. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even at the moment when Jesus experiences darkness, this agony of separation that we can't even describe, he still cries out in faith, My God, you're my God. He feels disowned by God. He feels separated from God. But he doesn't abandon his faith and his trust even at his place of pain, bearing and taking on the full weight of sin and evil and suffering, Jesus remains faithful. And so his question is all the more poignant, why me? Why Jesus? Jesus is the only person who ever had a full right to ask that question of God, why me? Why am I being forsaken? He was faithful even to the point of death, a death he didn't deserve. What's the answer? Why Jesus? The answer to Jesus' question, why me? Is he's the only one whose life and death could be lived and given for another. He lived the life that we should have lived perfectly for us. He died the death that we deserve. If not him, it would have to be us. Jesus chose to lose what was most dear to him, 
what he most treasured, his connection, his communion with the Father, the delight, the joy, the acceptance of his approval that he enjoyed from all eternity. He lost it so we could gain it, and that's love. The extent of love, the proof of love, of how much you love someone is shown in how much you're willing to give up, to suffer for them, to lose so they can gain. If someone you love, if a dear friend or family member is suffering from something very painful, maybe it's a physical ailment or something else, sometimes when, when that's happening to somebody close to us, we feel this thing that's rising up and we feel like we have to say it because we, we want to say, I wish it was me. It should be me and not you. I want to take your place. That's the ultimate expression of love, substitutionary suffering. If the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, the essence of the gospel is God substituting himself for man. He was forsaken. He was abandoned. So we would never be. It's the greatest love. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, In that question, in that cry, we thank you that as we this evening have barely scratched the surface of all that was happening in your heart, in that place of darkness, in that time of silence, we thank you that we can go there, that we can hear that cry. And it answers our cries. That we can know that we're not alone, no matter what's happening, that you haven't forsaken us. Even when we struggle, even when we suffer, even when we sin. And I pray this evening, even if this, this, sto this story is very familiar to us, if we've heard it many times, that that cry would resonate that would re resound in our souls, that it would break our hearts in order that we would see what we've been saved from and even more, how we've been saved by a loving God who would lose so we could gain. May we take our entire selves to the cross knowing that that is where we find our life. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.